Okay? You have your Bibles? Turn with me to 2 Peter 1.5. But while you're turning there, let me quote another scripture. This scripture is, How precious to me are your thoughts, O Lord. O God, how vast is the sum of them. Were it to count them, well, they just, they don't number the grains of the sand. And when I awake, I'm still with you. Thank God for that. <laughs> when I awake, I'm still with him. This scripture, how precious to me are your thoughts, is becoming more and more of a life-giving uh, thing to me right now. Is because I've realized, and I'm realizing, I have realized, but the seasons of re-emphasis from God where I realize that without the thoughts of God, I'm cut off. Without the thoughts of God, I feel like I'm cut off. And God's thoughts to my life and to your life can be very, not only are they life-saving, not only are they rewarding, not only they can be very prosperous, but they're just sweet. They're sweet. And I want God's thoughts to me. And when I say thoughts, I don't just want... I'm not just talking about scripture. Scripture is scripture. Thoughts are thoughts. God can share his thoughts with you as well as him share his word with you. And his thoughts are always, are always entwined around his word. Yeah? God doesn't go off reservation. And God is trying to share his thoughts with, with us as well as his word. That's important. So in 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, for this reason, so he wants to make a point. What is this reason? He said, make every effort, every effort to add to your faith. So what he's saying is, church, there needs to be continuous upgrades in your spiritual life, in your spirituality, in your thinking, in your thought life, in your reasoning, in your meditating. A meditation in your action for God, there needs to be certain updates and upgrades that need to come to your life. And he says you need to add some stuff to your spirituality. So like your faith, it needs goodness, it needs knowledge. How many of you know you need knowledge? You need goodness, you need self-control. Who's never struggled with their emotions? Well, we all have. Self-control, who's, ne- who's never struggled with perseverance? Well, these are the things that you need to upgrade your Christianity with, uh, up your faith, sorry, upgrade your faith with, which is your Christianity. Godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness. When was the last time you were kind to someone? That's the part where you're supposed to answer and go, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Try the person at the side of you for a start. If we're not going to be kind to people, then who are you? You know, we are increasingly seeing across the British landscape more and more homeless people. And the trouble is because we see more and more of them, they're beginning to blend into the scenery and they're becoming the unnoticed, the invisible. And now I'm not saying every individual person that sits on the street deserves money. But you've got to be led by the Holy Ghost to know which is which. You know, I think I told you before, uh, when I pick cattle up sometimes, there's quite a few sometimes that sit outside the Asna, which is near Carol's 
place and uh, some days I walk in and I see them but I don't feel obligated or moved towards them. Other days I distinctly feel it and on those days I distinctly feel it, I then move. And, uh, you know, because they're always going to be there to some degree, if not that person, somebody else, because they know that's where traffic is, the foot traffic is, and the chances are that's where somebody might be kind to them or take notice to them. And, and very often, you and I, we can become numb to this, and we become desensitized to people's needs. And uh, so we have to be very careful. We need to add things to our life. Notice people. That's the very least thing you can do is notice people. Lord, make me aware. Open my eyes to notice those that you want me to notice. Because throughout every day, you're passing hundreds of people. But someone in that crowd needs to be noticed. He's needing to be noticed. He's longing to be noticed. And it could be you that could make the difference to their world in that day. Don't call yourself a Christian and forget the outside world. It's so important. And if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But then he says this, but if anyone doesn't have these, he's nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Why? Because his past sins, he was once like some of those people. But because of God's forgiveness and grace to his life, you are now in a position to help those who you was once like. Amen? We call it paying it forward. So I know myself personally, I'm trying to tune my inmost, my inmost thoughts and my spirit to God's voice more and more. And it gets difficult at times in a noisy world. But... I have to keep on listening to God. And I'm going through this phase now where God, I, I'm thinking, is this you, Lord, that's, that's speaking to me? So he says, there's only one way you'll find out, Tony. As if you act on it. And I know there's going to be days, and I've put it into the budget, that I'm going to, it's going to be the voice of my own imagination. Hello? So how do you train a voice? How do you train the in internal voice? By obeying. And then you'll find out when you do something, it was God. Or it was just the voice of my imagination. I was in the gym the other night and I had this thought came into my mind. I'm thinking, now is this you, Lord? Is this me? He said, you'll never know. So he said, the only way you'll find out is if you act on it. So then you act on it and you think, I felt a bit of a burke there. But God says, no, you didn't feel a burke. You didn't, you're not a burke because you, you're trying to do something with what you're receiving. And the only way you'll find out, Tony, is by doing it. So I'm trying to tune, and I'm trying to tune, and I'll, eventually I'll know the difference because I want my response time to get, da uh, to get down. I don't want it to go for days and days and days. I want it to get down to seconds, minutes. And I want to learn to, to respond to this voice. Why? Because I can help you. And I can help others. If I can get it down to my response time. You know, when we all ring an ambulance or we ring the police, we want that response time like now. Well, when the Holy Ghost speak, 
That's almost like heaven's emergency services giving you a word right now how to act on it. Yeah? And uh, I want to do that. And so should you. Now, why is that important? Because I'm placing value on his thoughts. I'm saying, how precious to me are your thoughts, O Lord. Well, let's see, Tony, how precious my thoughts are to you. If you're not prepared to act on them, then they can't be precious. Now, if you're saying to me, precious is the Bible, well, of course it is. But I want his word and his thoughts. And I want his thoughts about his word. Yeah? So, I know that one of the keys to that is keep spending more time with the Lord. Now, I know you fight for the same 24 hours I do. And sometimes when you're doing nothing, nothing's still an obstacle to doing something. Isn't it? I'd rather do nothing than something. And we've always got a million one reasons why we shouldn't speak or read or talk to the Lord. Well, at least I have. You say, well, you can't be. You're a pastor. I'm also a human being like you. As the song says, I'm only human. Don't put all the blame on me. And I want this to happen for me. I want this to happen for you. And I want this to happen for us. And you should want it for you. For us. You should want it. Because I believe this is what God's wanting for us. Yeah? So if you turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, this is the scripture that I really want to open up to us today. Now remember, God's thoughts is the key to you and I being upgraded. How that word comes to you will upgrade you and update you. Yeah? But here's what I want to, here's what I've been seeing this week in the word. In 2 Corinthians 3.17, now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unfailed faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into, into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. I want to break this scripture down. It's a very powerful thing when it says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. So wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom in that environment. So the Lord might be the Spirit, but if the Spirit of the Lord... Let me read that again, I've got it wrong. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is. So if the Lord is who He is... He needs to be where, where he is and where he's allowed to dwell will determine what he can do. Yes? So if, he's, if the Lord is the spirit and, and the spirit of my mind is being renewed and I think about the things of God, there the spirit of the Lord is and there I find freedom. Does this make sense? So Phil can be the spirit of the Lord. But if the spirit of Phil cannot be allowed to go into some environments, then it restricts him from who he is in that environment. No, it doesn't restrict who he is. He's still Phil, and the Lord is still the Spirit, and he's still the Spirit of the Lord. But if he can't go into some environments 
God can't work. Because some people are resisting him. And God gives free will to everyone. So God respects what he gave. So let's just take this verse for a minute. We who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory. I'm just going to incrementally open up this scripture for you. We who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory. Now go to 2 Corinthians. Sorry, go, go to verse 13, sorry. Verse 13 of the same chapter that I've just been reading to you. Let's look at Moses for a second. Now, if God's going to upgrade us, if your life is going to be upgraded, what is one of the, the manifestations of your life being upgraded? The glory of God must be seen upon your life. It's not just so much how much knowledge you have. It's not so much how much understanding all these things are important because we read those things, add them to your life. But when all those things are added, they should manifest and there should be more of Christ's glory seen throughout your life. It's one thing, with, it's in many ways, I don't hear so many charismatics talking about the need to, to reflect God's glory. It's about how much we know, how much we can do, how quick we can do it, how good we can do it. But what about God's glory? I want to be with Christians, around Christians. The world needs to see Christ's glory in your life. Amen? And very often, you know, the old saying is that people, are not ca- people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And very often it's through the care side that we see the glory. Yes? And, and this... This whole thing, God, in this whole updating and upgrading, God is lifting that veil more and more so that you can reflect the very image of the one who's upgrading you. If your life does not reflect God's glory, at some point, something's wrong with your Christianity. Yes? It says in in the New Testament, they could see that they've been with Jesus. There was a glory upon their life that was emanating, that made, left them with the conclusion, these guys look like they belong with him. Only in the church today do you, look, do you see a, a body of people who don't look like the one they're supposed to be worshipping. Why? Because all through the week they're not with him. You see, for many, many people who come to church on a Sunday throughout the world, there is a mass percentage you only come to be updated. New information, new tip. That's why the Bible says in the end days they'll come, they'll gather around them teachers to tickle their ears. Why? Because they want to be updated with latest things. But those who want to truly be upgraded in Christ, you have to go deeper. And you can't do that on a Sunday. Because there's some things we can't talk about in this environment we need to talk about in another environment. And there's other things we don't talk about in that environment, we talk about in this environment. And in the church life, there's different environments for different things. Like when we have our prayer night on a Sunday night, I wouldn't do that on a Sunday morning. Why? Visitors would think we're idiots. Come on. But when we have our prayer night, chairs go back, we'll go for it. Now you imagine if you've got visitors coming in on a Sunday morning, seeing you and us all go for it in the spirit. We would look kind of strange. 
kind of the first kind of um, impression I had when I first walked in. So we don't do that. We have certain environments so that we can see, so we can build, develop, and deepen the people of God. Amen? And this is important that we do that. Jesus had conversations with the 12, and they had conversations with the three he didn't have with the rest. So it's important that you just know when and where to have conversations. So in this, it says, we are, like, we are like Moses in verse 13 of chapter 2, verse 13. Sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. We are not like Moses. Why aren't we like Moses? I thought he was the meekest man in all the world. Well, he was, but who put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were dull. Their minds were made dull. For this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. Can you remember? Can you imagine this in Israel? When the old covenant is read, they have a veil over their face. That is a very powerful thought. Hello? That's a very powerful thought. Now, you've just come back from Israel. You must have seen, did you go to the Wailing Wall? Were they wailing? Can you imagine the veil over their eyes? They don't see what you see. Doesn't make them, doesn't mean to say they're not smart. They are smart. They're intelligent. They know their Old Testament, but they just don't see. They can't look forward. Now it says a veil covers their hearts. But wherever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord is not there. The Lord is the Spirit, but the Spirit of the Lord is not there to give them the freedom they need to lift the veil to see what they need to see. Now that means, doesn't mean to say individual Jews are not getting saved. They are. Thousands of them. Hundreds of thousands of Jews are getting saved. Because they, they, they call themselves Messianic. They're not. They're called Christians. The point is, is, as a nation, God has put a veil over their eyes. But as individual people, whoever seek me will find me. Is that true? So, when we see Jesus, if God's trying to unveil his glory to us in increasing measure, what are some of the ways that God reveals his, his glory to us? We see him through communion. When we took communion last week, if you want to be religious about it, you can see bread, you can see juice, and you can see people lining up and they take it around and you all have a piece of bread. That's if you want to be religious. And so many people have a veil over them when they take communion. They do. That's why it says, before you take communion, be sober-minded. Think about what it is you're doing. Why? Because it's not just about eating bread and taking juice. It's about if you can see the glory of God through the table, then instantly you've been upgraded. But, but if we make it a tradition, then all we have is a tradition we don't see. Now, let me, let me say this to you. Communion. When we give you communion, do we bring a loaf, do we bring a loaf of bread or do we give you a couple of slices? The whole thing is put on the table. We don't take a toasty, toasty loaf. We don't open it 
and pass the loaf around and let you just all put your fingers in and just take a piece or a slice, we offer you the full bread. Why? Because we're offering you everything we've got. We want to show you everything of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you see this? We don't hold it back. Why? Because we want you to see the glory of God through taking communion. This is so important that you see this glory. Because at that point when you, when you reflect, oof, your heart is impacted. An upgrade. That's why he says, do it whenever you are together. Remember me. Why? Because in the remembering, there's an upgrade and God shows you a glimpse of what, what, went through, what he went through at Calvary. There are so many dimensions of Calvary we have not yet received. And God wants to give us a fresh revelation of the cross. Jesus gave everything for you so you could have everything of him. And when he gave that bread, he was saying that I gave everything for you. I mean, some people just take a little piece, don't they? Other people take a great big chunk. I love the crusty bread. Some people just take a little piece like, like they're doing God a favor. It's okay. Take, take a good piece. Take a good piece. It's when you bring your cheese out I start worrying. So we see Jesus through communion. And we must keep seeing him through communion. We must. It's not something we just do. It's something we're partaking of. And we must see him through communion. Don't lose him. We see Jesus through the receiving of the word. Hopefully today you'll catch a glimpse of his glory. Now, when we as a leadership feed you, do we give you sound bites? Do we give you the word? Do we try not do we try to make the full testimony of God known to you for that moment? We do. Why? Because we don't want to be a church that just gives you nice sound bites and clichés. We don't want to become a self-help clinic. Hello? We don't just want, we don't have flashing lights, smoke machines. If there's any smoke in here, it's either a fire or God's glory. We don't want, we don't want effects. We don't want you to worship and thinking, oh, there must be glory. We, we, we don't want to make a substitute. We want the real person. True? So if that's going to be our heart, then we must give you the whole counsel of God and the whole, we must let you know what is his testimony for, the, for today. You see this? We don't want, hear what I'm saying? We don't want to just supply you with bread. We want to supply you with seed and bread. Bread will only keep you alive for a day, two days. I don't even know bread goes moldy. Bread goes off, it goes hard. But if you go to Matthew, sorry, go to Luke chapter 11, verse 9. Here's some of the keys of 
when we take communion and when the word opens to us, listen to the levels of intensity of being upgraded. Luke 11 verse 9 says, and this is after Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray. So he's already connected them up to the Father. Can you see this? They're already ready to go for an upgrade. They say, teach us how to pray. Why? Because we want John's disciples taught, sorry, John taught his disciples what to pray and how to pray. So you teach us now. So Jesus makes this very powerful prayer. And then he goes on, he says, so I say to you, ask. So if you want to be upgraded and you want to be updated and you want to reflect God's glory through your updates and your upgrades, it starts with asking. You must ask. Because look what he says. Ask and it will be given to you. It's God's will not to hold himself back. He just didn't give a piece of bread. He gave everything. His will is to give you everything you need for life and godliness. So he wants you to be upgraded so you can reflect his glory. So he says, ask. So that's just one level. Level two, he says, seek. See, asking is just, it can be casual. Can't it? I can ask, there's a million one ways to ask someone, but to seek, it needs a little bit more intensity and it needs a little bit more desire to seek. Yeah, interest. So we've asked, we start with the asking, but then there's the seeking. Seeking is continual. It's not more, I can ask and just leave it. But to seek means I put a little bit more demand, put a bit more intensity into what it is I'm looking for. Yes? So ask. Some of you have only just asked, but you haven't got to the point of seeking. Then from seeking, we now need to get to the next point of knocking. Now what does knocking mean? Knocking is determination. Do you remember the story in the New Testament of the persistent widow? What was the result of that story? The guy who was in bed, she kept knocking so much that she mithered him. She put pressure on him to answer. He got out of bed, went downstairs, opened the door, and he's like, woman, this woman's going to be the pain of my life if I don't answer her. True? So he went down, and he gave her what she wanted. Why? Because she put a demand Does this make sense? So if you want to be upgraded, you must start with asking. You must move to seeking. And if seeking hasn't, you know, in your seeking, start knocking. Hello? Ask, seek, and knock. So what does he say here? So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find it. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and he who knocks the door will be open. There are some doors to upgrades that I desperately want God to open. Because I know if, if he can open it up to my life, I can open it up to yours. And vice versa. If God opens up a door for you, you can share what God's done, how he's done it, and how you're working in it. Now a doorway, once it's open, you need to guard it. You need to keep it open. Yes? Guard it. Because if you don't guard it, 
other things will try and cross into it. When Jesus gave you salvation, or should I say, when you came to the cross, what do you think you received? That's a big question. Some people, some evangelicals, believe that when they come to the cross, they receive the forgiveness of their sin. Yes? There is forgiveness, there is reconciliation, there's justification, there's redemption, and all the other big words. Yes? Right. But did you not receive more than that? Some of you are not sure. I read my Bible, my Bible, I received that and a lot more. But some people are just happy living with that. They're happy to live with forgiveness, reconciliation, salvation, all that. And they'll, you know, by the way, so am I. They're, ba- you know, they're, they're the basic Calvary software package. That's what he's provided for me. But that's called coming to the cross. Let's take a step through the cross. And let's look at now the victorious Christian life. Yes? So when I stepped through the cross, not just come to the cross, the cross, coming to the cross was the first step. But God doesn't leave me there. And he says, keep holding my hand, son, because there is more upgrades for you to realize. There's more glory as you come through the cross. Amen? And then he begins to give us a new covenant. And the blood then begins to speak a better word. Oh, a better word. Yes, right. So I need to know what the upgrade is so I know what the blood is speaking. True? And then he says, so not only do I give you a new covenant and the blood that speaks a better word, I give you my name. Now, if you could just stop there, just put a pin in that. What does that mean? mean when every demon in hell anything in the cosmos that we haven't discovered yet the Bible didn't write about but knows it's there if there's anything out there they are still subject to this name because God is not in time and space God feels he's outside of that and he controls everything Colossians tells us everything is sustained by his word and he gives you his name to go and use. Wow. This is why deliverance, to some degree, shouldn't be too hard. You see, if I give David some money, and I say, David, just go down the road. There's a guy called Jimmy down the road. Just tell him Tony sent you, and here's the money. And David gets in the yard, and the guy says, who are you? So straight away, there's a little bit of a challenge there. Who are you? David says, Tony sent me. Straight away, backs off, lets him in. The transaction's made. David walks away happy. The guy's happy. All he did was use my name. There was resistance at first, but all he did was use my name. My name dispelled the resistance. True? See, this is the name that God gives us. It's a name that's above all other names. And if we just say... Jesus sent me, 
you're out, we're in. If you can learn to stand on that name and operate by that name, the upgrades are phenomenal. His name. That name carries glory. He says to Moses, well, Moses says to God, who shall I say sent me? Tell him I am. What happened when I am spoke? When Jesus said, I am, what happened? They all fell over. That name is way above anything you and I have comprehended. And everything will bow down to that name. Everything and everyone will bow at the name and the thought of Jesus. And we've been given that name. Why? Because we have the veil taken off our eyes. We're not like Moses. We've got the veil off our eyes. We can see what he's given us. We can see what he's giving us and has given us. And then he says, not only have you given me a name, I've given you an inheritance that can never spoil, fade, or perish. Why? Because I've given you my name, and behind my name there's an inheritance. Wow. All that the Father has is yours. Now, despite what some people think, that inheritance does not include real estate. Some people think up in heaven, God's got a mansion for you. When he means mansion, it's a bad translation. He means, in my father, in my father are many dimensions. Can you imagine Jesus up there, the angels keep, Jesus could be like Pharaoh. Keep building those houses, they're coming up soon. We need more houses up here, they're coming up. Jesus is not into real estate. Can you imagine all the saints? He's no different than Pharaoh. So he's given us an inheritance. He's given us eternity. Wow. With the Father. He's given us a church. His church. He's given us a family. He's given us his word. He's given us all these dimensions that you and I I should say, all these dimensions that reveal different aspects of God's glory. And God wants you to tap into him so you reveal his glory. We haven't understood church. We haven't understood church. And the living stones, if we could just get them living. God supplies to us more than we can think, see, or imagine. But he still supplies it. So the problem is what you can see, what you can think, and what you can imagine. The problem's not with the supply. The problem is down here in you. What you can see, what you can't see, what you think, what you can't think, what you can imagine, what you can't imagine. All these things, the limitations are in you, not in the supplier. Yeah? And I think it's... Fantastic. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, he says, let us approach the throne of grace. What he's saying is, come with confidence, guys. I want you to see this glory is yours. This glory is yours. And I want you to come to this throne with confidence so that you can receive and find upgrades and updates in your time of need. Such as mercy, grace, forgiveness, All these things are 
made available to you and I, but you have to come and you have to approach the throne of grace. Wow. So that we may receive and find, uh, find grace and help in our time of need. The thing is, what, the thing is this is, Many of the Hebrews, or sorry, many of the, in the book of Hebrews, it talks about all these great people, and they were great. Man, they were great. They had faith, they had courage, they were martyrs, they were, they, they were prophets, priests, kings, faithful people who, who took this gospel. But it says, they didn't see what you're seeing. Now they are seen. Now they've seen it because they're on the other side. And Jesus Christ took Abraham's bosom and brought them into paradise. So now they can see what you and I see. But when they were on the earth, they couldn't see. There was a full measure that they were unable to tap into. But you and I do not have that restriction. All you have is your desire. Without your desire, no door will open. Nothing will be released. Why? Because God works on the basis of your asking, your seeking, and your knocking. Yeah. God responds on the basis of your asking, your seeking, and your knocking. Is not God willing? Of course he is. For God so loved the world he gave. His only son, so that none should perish. But only those who seek and repent find it. Is that not true? Of course it is. So the first part of that was, we with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory. Second part of that scripture is, we who reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed. This is still 2 Corinthians 3, 17, 18. James tells us in, the book, in his book, James chapter 1, 23, anyone who listens to the word and doesn't do what it says is like a man who looks in the, his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But that man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he'll be blessed in what he does. So it's what he does that causes him to hold on to who Christ is making him. Yes, it's what he does. Some person, you can teach who they are, in, you can teach who a person is in Christ, and then you walk through the door and forget it. Yes? So when you look in the mirror, what do you see? Do you see yourself a person who's loved by Jesus? Accepted? Forgiven? I didn't say, you know, I would have liked some buttocks and I would have liked my eyes a little bit more on me. I'm not, not talking about the facial. I'm talking about you. You are not summed up by your looks. You're much more than your looks. Believe me, you are. Your looks will change. But you won't. To some degree. Who you are is who you are. Now, we know the young people are massively affected by how they look. And the, how they want to be seen. Right? We know that's a problem. But God knows very often our biggest battle is we compare ourselves to others. 
We all want to be like you, who, who. Yeah, as a jungle book says. I want to be like you, who, who. Jesus says, just be like me, me, me. I made you, who, who, to be like me, me, me. To reflect my image and my nature. So when you look in the mirror, that's the only image he wants you to see. Yes? Now, so when you're putting your lipstick on, ladies, or you're putting your makeup on, you're still beautiful. You're still beautiful. With it or without it. Now, fellas, don't put any makeup on <laughs> to look beautiful. Right? We're still beautiful. The beautiful you. Because they say beauty is what? In the eye to be older, beauty is skin deep. We've got all these euphemisms for what beauty is. But beauty is what God created you to be. And you must know. And what did he create you to be? To reflect his glory. The mirror of the soul, whoops, the mirror of the soul is very powerful. I've got to have the spirit of God in my mirror. Because if not, I'll look at the wrong things. It's about you holding your revelation of who you perceive yourself to be in Jesus. The thing is what we find is in most human beings, the soul is damaged. The soul has been fractured. It's been fractured because of our uh, upbringing. It's been Fractured through our circumstances, through bad relationships, bad marriages, bad mothers, bad fathers, bad brothers and sisters. It's our past invariably begins to shape us who we are. We bring that into the church and then what you end up doing is fighting with everything God says you are. You've got a different experience and your experience is true and real to you, but it doesn't supersede the word of God to your life. But in your mind, it does. You rationalize what God says by how you feel. And there lies the problem. Truth and facts based on feelings and some facts. But you haven't got truth, you've got facts. Truth has to sit and override facts. Because your facts to you is the truth. But truth is higher. This is why it's possible to forgive somebody with truth. But with facts, I have every reason to keep on unforgiving you. But when the truth comes, Jesus says, if you don't forgive, how can your Heavenly Father forgive you? That's truth. And that's a fact. But fact says, but he hurt me, so therefore I'm justified not to forgive. But the truth says, I forgave when they hurt me. You've got to look in the mirror and hold your revelation. Then he says, back into 2 Corinthians 3.17, he says, Now where the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So this is a key thing. Where the Lord is and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If we're going to have unveiled faces... If we're going to reflect the Lord's glory, then the Spirit of the Lord and the Lord, and the, and the Lord of the Spirit must be in the same place. Can you see this? They must be in me. 
They must be alive in me and they must be allowed to speak in me. It's not enough to say, well, I'm, Jesus, uh, I'm the son of Jesus Christ. I'm the daughter of Jesus Christ. That's truth, by the way. But don't just use that as a blanket statement. You have to apply truth. You have to apply it. So then he says, uh, where's it gone? We reflect the Lord's glory of being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory. So I broke this scripture down and, I've, and I've, I'm picking it up. We who reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness. There's the key there. That's the mirror. With ever increasing glory. You see this? The glory must be increasing on your life. Now I'm not saying you walk around with a halo around your head. We're not, being, we're not like the old Catholic saints now. Your relationship with God will cause other people to see what you don't know and what you don't see. Others know and see something different about you. They pick it up. They do. They pick it up. They know and they see it. Why? Because to be transformed with increasing glory means something has to change. Oh, let's rephrase that. Someone has to change. Now, if I'm going from one degree to another, how many upgrades and updates do you think I'm going to need? Think about this. This is a thought of mine. Most Christians are not going from one degree of glory to another. They went from sin to salvation. There's one degree. They started walking and then they stopped. They struggle. They fight with themselves. They don't grow in what they know. And they don't apply what they know. They just go to church. So tell me why is that and how is that going from one degree to another? That can't be going from one degree. That, went, that means you've come a few degrees, but at this point, you're not continuing. You've maintained, but you, but you haven't picked up. Some of us should be a lot further down the road now with what we've received. Come on, let's be honest with ourselves. I've wasted a lot of years. And then I think, I come into church and someone says, God will restore all the years that the, that the locusts have eaten. And you know what? Not always. I've seen a lot of Christians go home to be with the Lord, disappointed. Come on. You know it. You've seen it. It's what you can apply of the truth will determine how far the truth can take you. It is. It's what you need to write that down. It's how much of this truth I can apply will determine how far I can, it can take me. Now, there are promises outside of my abilities that God has got in store for us all. The inheritance and all that kind of thing. But it's what I do with this word. How I can apply it to my life. I always put the responsibility on me. Whether you're a Calvinist or an Arminist, or whether you're a City fan or a United fan, who cares? The issue is this. I believe in working out my salvation. 
I believe that. I put, I put, I put the responsibility on me. So, some people say, well, you know, this one saved, always saved. It's convenient. Others say, you've got to work it out. Well, the, then the Calvinists say, but that puts a lot of pressure on you. I put that pressure on me. No doctrine put that on me. I put that on me. I expect to do something with what I've been given. So who much is given? Much is required. I must work out my salvation with fear and with trembling. And I'll let that doctrine, whichever Calvinism or I'm is, I'll let, let the, the future dictate who was right. The point is, in the meantime, I will keep working it through. And so must you. It's like amillennial and premillennial and post. Guess what? When you get up there, it don't matter. All those doors, you can imagine, can't you? They're all, they're all, you know why there was silence in heaven? They were all changing their mind, weren't they? Thinking which door we should go through. We fight over the wrong things. We argue over the wrong things. Now where the Lord is, so where, now where the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There must be freedom in your heart and mind. There must be. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul carried so much glory upon his life that whether he was in the sea, whether he was in chains, whether he was being stoned, or whether he was in a good place, you could always see the glory on Paul's life. You can say, well, I'm not Paul. No, that's right, you're not. That's, that's true. But you are a partaker of the same divine grace that Paul yeah. partook of. Yeah. And you and I can display the Lord's glory. In whatever circumstance, whatever situation, you must learn to carry and reflect God's glory. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So if I don't get the Spirit of God in my mind and in my heart, guess what? I don't have freedom in there. Yeah. I start working on suspicion. Suspicion is a killer. Somebody spoke to me only this week and said, you know, I've got a suspicion about such and such a thing. And I just thought, poor you. Why? Because suspicion is the maniac in your mind. There's nothing worse when you suspect something. And how do you know? You've got to wait. But for the meantime, it drives you crazy. And then the amount of energy, thought energy, it takes from you. Only to find out, <laughs> I was silly once, dipstick. Dipstick. So, let's bring this thing to a, a close. Where the Lord is the Spirit... And where the Spirit of the Lord is, life, connection, and wholesome fellowship should evolve. It should. I look at many people in this house and I look at many people around the nations who, who I'm connected with and I see where the Lord is the Spirit and the Spirit of the Lord is. I see distinct behavior. 
But I don't always see Christians bring the Spirit of the Lord in with them. I see people come to church and expect everything they need to be in this environment. But they themselves are not a carrier of it. And when you talk to them, as soon as they open their mouth, you can tell the spirit that's in them is different than what's in the room. Their opinion supersedes everything. And the scripture tells us in Proverbs, uh, no, not Proverbs, Acts 2.42. And here's the, the behavior of a, a company who's reflected the Lord's glory, who's been upgraded. It says this, and they devoted themselves. Wow. In other words, they didn't need an email. They didn't need a flowers. They didn't need flowers. They didn't need to be greeted and meted. They devoted themselves. Now, what made them devote themselves? There was a greater force on the inside of them caused them to devote themselves. Nobody put their arm up the back. They didn't entice them. They didn't have smoke machines. They didn't have a band. Albeit our band was reduced this morning, but not in stature. They didn't have that, but they devoted themselves. But what did they devote themselves to? They devoted themselves to the things that can upgrade them. And what were those things? Well, I'm glad you asked. Apostles teaching. Apostles and apostles teaching. It's not just apostles teaching, apostolic teaching. It's apostles and apostolic teaching. There's a difference between pastoral teaching and apostolic teaching. Not only did they devote themselves to apostles and apostolic teaching, but to the fellowship to the fellowship. That was key. What they devoted themselves. Because this is where God was revealing his glory. In this group of people. And not only to the fellowship. To the breaking of bread. And not only to the fellowship of breaking of bread. But to prayer. And then here's the result. And everyone was filled. So here's a key. Let me just give this as a litmus test. Go play with, on this, play with this this week. Maybe the secret of you being filled is what you devote yourself to. Maybe the secret behind what fills your life is what you devote yourself to. Many people are devoting themselves to a lot of things in the hope it will re reward them. And it will fill them. Whether it's finance, whether it's relationships or whatever it is. Contentment, happiness, joy, da, da, da. People then devote themselves to those things only to find out those things that they devoted themselves become like shackles. They don't produce the life that they really wanted. And then they blame their circumstances. But here we see they, developed, they devoted themselves. It all started, they devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to breaking the bread, to prayer, and everyone was filled with awe. You know what that means? They were all filled with the glory of God. And then what happened? And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. The apostles could work 
It was easy for the apostles to work. Why? Because everyone was devoted. Most pastors have to convince. But these people were devoted. And all the believers were together. Do you know how hard that is? Do you realize how hard that is? To get all the believers together. Not a single email was sent. But they were all together. Not only were they all together, they had everything in common. Wow. Wow. Why can't we have this church? No, answer that question, please. It's not a church that's going to be in the sweet by and by. The only church you can change is the one you're in. And it starts by what you devote yourself to. Precious to me are your thoughts. Why? Because I devote myself to your thoughts. Selling their possessions. They didn't have eBay. There was no eBay, but they sold their possessions. They didn't have Black Fridays. And they gave to anyone as he needed. Such generosity, they were making it extremely difficult for God not to bless them. And every day, not once a week, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Do you not think they had work? Do you not think they had to supply for their own needs? Of course he did, to some degree. They broke bread in their homes and ate together. Now, did they just eat a piece of bread or did they get to supply the whole loaf? They supplied the whole loaf. Why? Because they wanted everyone to see what they were all partaking of. And the Lord added to their number daily those being saved. I do not want, and I speak for Phil and Paul and the team here, we do not want church growth. We want to be very particular who we take on board. Why? We're not looking for a backside on a seat. We're looking for material to build with, to use. We don't want your attendance. We want your involvement. So many of you attend but not involved. That does not help the church to, to grow. People say, well, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, but you never belong anywhere. You're always looking. You know, if I took my wife, my wife can do this when it comes to shopping. We can shop, 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 and never buy. <laughs> That's one of the eternal frustrations of being married. You shop, but you don't buy. I would rather go and buy it. Well, you know, we spend all day, and the only thing I get out of it is a cup of coffee. Right? And do you feel the same sometimes? You know, you go out and you shop, shop, shop and don't buy anything. How are you thinking? Well, okay, yours, maybe you're different. It's not that Carol won't buy, it's that she hasn't seen what she wants, so she keeps going on and on, but I'm with her all the time. And because uh, I've got to hold on to the. Uh, no, I haven't. See, men go out, and, and seriously, men go out on a mission. They know what they want, they go to it, have a coffee, gone, we're done. There's no such thing as shopping, it's shop. We go to shop, and then there might be ings after that, but there's definitely a shop we go to. 
But ladies can just wander all around all day looking. I can't do that personally unless I've got to build it now with coffees. I've got to have coffee shops and books. That's why I always take a book with me when Carol's shopping. Anyway, I digress. The point I'm making is this. is I forgot the point I was trying to make. People shopping around. People keep looking. There comes a day called stop. Make a decision. Devote yourself. Devote yourself to these things. Find what you're looking for. Give it everything you've got. Game over. Don't waste your life looking. If it's truly God leading you, you don't have to look, 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 look. You know, when I came in here, I was not looking for you. I was not looking for you. Everything in here wasn't right. My past was completely different. You've heard me say this. My past was different. I wasn't looking for what felt right. But if you can be led of God, it doesn't matter if it feels right. It doesn't matter if I look the weirdest person you've ever seen. Let's conclude the matter. I am weird. If you've never seen anything like me, bless the Lord, I'm the first. But I won't be the last. There's other weird people like me out there. However, just find your place in life. Let the Lord unpack his glory. But you've got to devote yourself. I've realized that all my fulfillment is when I really put down my roots and I really began to build. Because my, my, my chief desire in God was always, God, I don't want to just be a pastor. Now, that might sound weird because everyone's got the picture of what they thought a pastor was. And my idea of a pastor at that time was, was not necessarily biblical. It was just my opinion. And I said, Lord, I just don't want to be contained like I see many of them. And I felt the Lord say to me, son, you've got a wrong understanding of what the ministry is. That's okay. Okay, son. But I'm calling you to something you don't understand. I'm calling you to something you've not seen. But you need to know there's a calling. And you know, that was enough. That was enough to know that I was born for something different. And that allowed me to let go of a good salary. That allowed me to walk across into this house and let God do his work on my life. And all I've ever done is work with what God's ever given me. That's all I've ever done. I work with what God's given me and I reap the fruits and I reap the rewards. And you, one day, hopefully I will get the opportunity to turn around to the Lord and say, here's the motley crew you gave me. Here's what you gave me, Lord. It was a broken tin of biscuits when you gave it me. But now through your grace and through our diligence, Lord, we have something that looks like you. It looks like you. Because when God gives you people, he gives you broken pieces. And as you keep working with the Lord and keep laboring with the Lord, the Lord gives you strategies of how to heal people, how to bring them together. So then you begin to build the house and you begin to build the people from the inside. But it's only as the people devote themselves, you can build. Because people who don't devote themselves, they're never with you. They give you nothing to work with. So you've never really got the material in your hand. So all I've ever asked for, Lord, is give us 
material so we can build. Because we don't want to be a construction site. We want to actually, we don't just want bricks everywhere. If we're building, there must be a pattern. Yes? And that's what we want. We don't just want bricks. Some churches just happy to have a load of a crowd. But there's no one to build the bricks. And what I believe is God will give us bricks, bricks and mortar to establish the work of God on the ground. Amen? That is the testimony of God for you today. To, to understand that the Spirit of the Lord must be with you. Why? Because we who with unveiled faces must reflect His glory. That's what the upgrades and the updates should produce. Reveal His glory. So when people see us, they see God's glory. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. I just want us to raise our hands if we will. I cannot force, neither would I want to ever force. I can never force or coerce you to devote yourself. I think it was Mary who gave me a scripture a couple of weeks ago in one of the prayer meetings. And it was, son, just discharge all the duties of your ministry. So all I do is, I get the word, I discharge what God's given me. The results is up to the Lord. What you take is your responsibility. What you share with me and what you bring to me then is our dualistic responsibility to build on the ground with each other, into each other. But I've come to this conclusion, I can't force, coerce anything. I can't change anybody. God has to do it. And you know, when God's doing something, it's so much easier than you trying to force something. So what am I saying? I'm saying it comes, we're coming to the point again where God is saying, if you really want some upgrades, you've got to devote yourself again. Devote yourself to the Lord and devote yourself, and listen, devote yourself to the Lord and devote yourself to the Lord's house. All these people were together because they devoted themselves. Now you need to get a fresh picture of what devotion means. Because in your current state, it still may be wrong. And you might think, well, I'll just keep on going to the church. My church attendance has been pretty poor, so I'll go a bit more. No, that's not devotion. That's called you coming to church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread. On all those things, they devoted themselves to. So, you devoted themselves to a group of people. That's what you and I must do this morning. So let's raise our holy hands, if we will, and say, Father, in my upgrade, I need to see what devotion through your eyes looks like. I need to see it afresh, Lord. Take the veil off my eyes and let me see what truly devoting myself really looks like to your purpose, to your house, to your cause, to your word. Let me see, oh God, in a way that I've never seen it before. 2.18's vastly approaching on us. It's just, just a day, but in many ways it gives us an opportunity to start a clean slate. We don't have to wait for some chime to ring before change comes. 
change comes the moment the word comes. And God does not want you to be slow in responding. God wants you to be quick to respond. That's what I started at the outset of the message. So this morning, as you've heard this word, respond in your heart to what God is saying to you. It's not what I've said, it's what God has said to you. Because what God is saying to you might be different from what I've said. Say, Lord, show me. Upgrade me. Show me what devotion means. Now remember, ask. Seek. Knock. Ask. Seek. Knock. If you really want to devote yourself, you've got to go beyond just asking. Show me, Lord, what devotion looks like. The teaching was important. Why? Because that's what they fixed the thoughts on. That was the core message that would, that would upgrade them and, and align them to what God was doing. So, Father, I pray, oh God, right across this room right now, Lord, take the veil off our eyes. Take the veil off our eyes. Take the veil off our understanding. Take the veil off our, our reasoning, our human reasoning. Take the veil off our opinions. Take the veil off our circumstances. Take the veil off our hurts and our wounds. Take the veil off our reasons. Take the veil, of Lord, of all these things and show us Christ and Christ only. Show us, oh God, what it means to be devoted to you 100%. To have the fragrance of the Lord upon our lives. And the people of God said, Amen. 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 Lord bless you.